Well, good morning. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 15. And we're going to be looking today at verses 21 through 28. Matthew 15, verses 21 to 28. Please follow along as I read. Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and implored him, saying, Send her away, because she keeps shouting at us. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she, began, she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, O woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. Let's ask the Lord's blessing on our time in his word. Uh, Father, thank you for this amazing passage of scripture. Thank you for the privilege of being able to preach and teach on it today. And Lord, I pray that I would just be the messenger. Lord, that uh, my words would be clear and accurate. Lord, that I would be jealous for your glory. Lord, may you take your word and find it Find a place in each of our hearts and use your word, Lord, to conform us to the image of your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Well, after graduating from the Master's Seminary, Sally and I moved to Bellingham, Washington, and I went on staff at Emmanuel Bible Church there. I was the pastor of student ministries, so I was overseeing junior high, high school, and college ministry. Bellingham is the home of Western Washington University. It's a campus of about 12,000 students. And I quickly got involved with Athletes in Action there. They didn't have FCA, and so I got involved with AIA. And I met Brad Jackson, who was the head basketball coach for Western Washington University. We struck up a friendship, and um, I began doing chapel services for their basketball team. We usually had three or four guys at chapel, and one of the guys there was a freshman, He was from Whatcom County, Washington, and came from a small town called Linden, and his name was Grant Dykstra. Grant had to overcome many things to get where he needed, where he ended up after graduating from Western. From the day he was born, he had the pressure of living up to the successes of his father, Glenn Dykstra. Glenn was an outstanding basketball player, one of the best in Whatcom County history, He led his high school, Linden Christian, to the Class A state championship in 1976. And Grant would later attend the same school, same high school, and play the same position as his celebrated father. His sister was a three-time all-state guard for Linden Christian, winning a state championship in basketball and two championships in softball. His older brother, Greg, was an all-stater in basketball as well, and his team won a state championship in football. Greg went on to a stellar career at Western Washington in football, and by the way, both of his older siblings were valedictorians of their high school. 
But when Grant was two years old, he was playing on his family's dairy farm, and his coat accidentally got caught in a grain auger. And this started the machine which pulled his coat and his arm into the rotating metal, slowly mangling and twisting the child's limb. Only his mother's quick thinking and his coat and, of course, the care of Almighty God kept him from losing his arm or from bleeding to death. His father worked for over an hour and a half to get his son's arm out of the grain auger. But the nightmare being played out in front of them in the broad daylight was only the beginning. They wanted to amputate his arm. It was so dirty from all of the grain. The doctors were worried about infection, and the doctors were just happy that he still had his arm. It took 13 surgeries to save Grant's arm. In all, he had 16 surgeries in just 10 years. As doctors later used a technique of sewing his arm to his stomach to graft skin to the injured limb. Grant also had years of therapy to help the injured right arm and hand gain strength and movement, and the full use of his right hand would never return. But Grant so desperately wanted to play basketball. And in order to play and succeed, he had to teach himself to, be, to become left-handed. When he entered high school, he became a starter on the basketball team as a freshman. He played with his older brother, Greg, who was a senior, and helped lead Lyndon Christian to a third-place finish at state. He later led his school to a second-place finish and finally a state championship. He broke school records for points, three-pointers, assists, steals, and free-throw percentage. Desmond, I know you're getting excited with all this sports stuff right now. He was not heavily recruited out of high school. Not many schools thought that he could persevere at the next level, but Coach Brad Jackson believed that he could. Grant finished a phenomenal career at Western Washington University in the spring of 2006. He is now the school's all-time leading scorer. He was a, cons- a consensus NCAA Division II All-American his senior year, a first-team All-American as honored by Dactronics and the National Association of Basketball Coaches. Grant was the recipient of the United States Basketball Writers Association Most Courageous Award in 2005, where he was honored at the Final Four in St. Louis. On March 30, 2006, Dykstra received the Jimmy V Foundation Comeback Award announced on ESPN at halftime of the NIT championship game from New York City. Grant overcame great adversity, challenges, and barriers to to achieve the success on the basketball court that he did. And what is great is he gives God all the glory for his successes. He is thankful for for all of his awards, for it gives him another opportunity to share his story, a story of God's amazing grace. And as we come to our passage this morning in the Gospel of Matthew, we see a woman here who overcame great obstacles, not to become a great basketball player, but overcame great obstacles to get to Jesus so that her daughter could be healed. And so I want us to look at this together, and I want to show you the seven barriers this woman overcame to get to Jesus, seven barriers this woman overcame to get to Jesus. Number one, we see the barrier of seclusion. The barrier of seclusion. Verse 21, we read that Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. 
After Jesus heard about the murder of John the Baptist, we see that he withdrew in a boat to a secluded place by himself. But when the people heard of it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And we see that several people were able to find Jesus, perhaps 15 to 20,000 people. And after feeding those 5,000 men along with the women and children, Jesus sent both the crowds and his disciples away so that he could spend some time alone in prayer with the Father. Jesus would then walk on the water and meet his disciples and calm the wind and the waves and get into the boat with them. But when reaching the land of Gennesaret, there were crowds waiting on him once again. We read in Mark 6.56 that whenever or wherever he entered villages or cities or countryside, they were laying the sick in the marketplaces and imploring him that they might just touch the fringe of his cloak and as many as touched it were being healed. Jesus would then face the accusation of the Pharisees and scribes who accused Jesus and his disciples of breaking the tradition of the elders by eating bread with unwashed hands. Jesus then would teach on this matter that it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles the man, but what comes out of the mouth is what defiles the man. And so after this accusation and time of teaching with his disciples, Jesus again tries to get away from the crowds to be alone with his disciples, to prepare them for what would soon take place, his arrest and his trial and his crucifixion. So Jesus and his disciples head into the district of, of Tyre. They, they headed northwest out of the land of Israel, away from the jurisdiction of King Herod and the Jewish religious leaders. This territory is the ancient land of Phoenicia, which is now part of southern Lebanon, on the eastern shore of the Mediterranean Sea. So Jesus and his disciples headed out of town, away from those who continually rejected him and his teaching, away from those who were seeking a lot, his life, getting away with his disciples. And he is doing that so that he could equip them and prepare them to continue the ministry that he had begun, the ministry that would continue after his death and his resurrection from the dead and after his departure back to the Father in heaven. And so they went into seclusion. Mark tells us in Mark 7.24 that Jesus got up and went away from there to the region of Tyre, and when he had entered a house, he wanted no one to know of it. But here we see in verse 22 of Matthew 15 that a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, "'Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David,' My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. So we see, first of all, that this woman overcame the barrier of seclusion and found the Messiah. And just as I believe Jesus really walked on water, I also believe that this event happened within the sovereignty of God. It was no coincidence that Jesus went into the region of Tyre, and it was no coincidence that this woman found Jesus when he was alone with his disciples. A second barrier this woman overcame was the barrier of gender. The barrier of gender. Matthew here identifies her as a Canaanite woman from that region. 
Mark 7, 26, Mark says, Now the woman was a Gentile of the Syrophoenician race. So the person that came to Jesus clearly was a woman. Women were not highly regarded during this time and in this culture. Jewish men would pray this prayer, Blessed are you, Lord, for not having made me a Gentile. Blessed are you, Lord, for not having made me a slave. A third part to that prayer, still prayed by some devout Jewish men today, Blessed art thou, O Lord God, King of the universe, who hast not made me a woman. Men, if you're praying that prayer, please stop, Uh, especially today. It's Mother's Day, okay? Just take a break. But this woman did not really care that women were not regarded as important as men in Jewish society. She wanted to get to Jesus. Her daughter was in need of healing. And this woman had heard of Jesus and heard about his miraculous healing power. And when she heard that he was in the area, she ran to him. I want you to look at her faith displayed just in what she says to him in verse 22. She says, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. Lord, son of David. She calls him Lord. That was last spoken by Peter when he saw Jesus walking on the sea. After Jesus assured the disciples that it was him by saying, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter replied, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. This woman calls him Lord, Master, the Christ. She then calls him Son of David. If she was not familiar with Jewish culture, she was definitely familiar with Jewish history. And she acknowledges that this is the Son of David. This is the Messiah. This is the expected one or the promised one of old. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, the opening verse of this great gospel, we read these words, the record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This is only the third person in the gospels to acknowledge Jesus as the son of David. She has faith that Jesus is who he claims to be, that he is indeed the Messiah, God incarnate, and the Lord of Lords. And that faith enables her to overcome the barrier of seclusion, the barrier of gender, and thirdly, the barrier of disease. The barrier of disease. Verse 22, again, She says, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. Her daughter was not just being obsessed by the messengers of Satan. She was not merely being annoyed or bothered. This woman says her daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. This is serious. The woman could have simply said that my daughter is demon-possessed, but it was much more than this. It was severe And so she added an adverb that is translated severely, badly, cruelly. And the implication here is that this possession was harmful and damaging to her daughter. She was in a desperate condition and in need of deliverance and healing. This woman was a Gentile. Matthew tells us that she was a Canaanite. She had been raised in a pagan culture known for its wickedness and vileness. 
She lived in the land and was a descendant of, the, of a people that in Deuteronomy 7.2, God had commanded his people Israel to conquer and to utterly destroy. She had no heritage of God's word, no sense of his blessing, no experience of the tabernacle or the temple, and no familiarity with the priesthood and the sacrifices. It is likely that she and her family were worshipers of a god called Astarte and other pagan deities that were popular in the region in which she lived. The fact that she came to Jesus, who was a Jew, a teacher, a healer, reveals that she was disillusioned with the idolatry that made up her religion. John MacArthur says here, her trust in Astarte may have seemed satisfactory while things were going well. But when her daughter became cruelly demon-possessed, the mother discovered she could get no help from a goddess of stone. She therefore left her religious system, left her pagan family and friends, left her false belief that had no answers or power, and came to the only one who could help her. By her appeal to Christ, she publicly affirmed his power over her former gods of wood and stone and metal." Well, this woman loved her daughter more than anything, more than her own life. And leaving this religious system and fleeing to Jesus would lead to to ridicule and rejection and perhaps even persecution. But she left all of that behind and even left her daughter behind for a time to get to Jesus. Her only hope, knowing that if Jesus, the Lord God, the son of David, the Messiah could not save her, then no one could. And so she comes to him, overcoming the barrier of seclusion, the barrier of gender, the barrier of disease. Fourthly, we see the barrier of silence. Verse 23, but he did not answer her a word. Sometimes you read something in the word of God or in the Gospels, that is absolutely stunning, and I believe this is one of those times. Not a word from the Messiah. Even after this woman addresses her as Lord and Son of David. And so it makes us question what is going on here. Complete silence. No acknowledgement of the fact that she, unlike so many of the Jews of this day, that she recognized who he really was, that he was indeed the son of David, that he was the expected one, that he was God incarnate. No acknowledgement of her request, a request for healing for her daughter, a request that he has answered numerous times in the past. Not a word from Jesus. A strange silence that would not be repeated until the cross A silence that Isaiah had prophesied about when he wrote this in Isaiah 53, 7, that he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so he did not open his mouth. And so we're uh, tempted to say how insensitive of Jesus so concerned about being alone and being with his disciples, not wanting to be bothered by the crowds, not willing to help this pagan, definitely not as concerned because she was a woman, right? Wrong. This is the Lord God, 
the Holy One of Israel in human form. This is the God who has declared the end from the beginning. This is the God who knows all things, including the secret thoughts and the motives of the heart. This, ladies and gentlemen, was a test. Not a test of the emergency broadcast system, if they still do that. But it was a test of this woman's faith. Jesus put up the barrier of silence himself because I believe he is wishing and desiring to draw out of her true, genuine, and saving faith. That she would see the kind of faith that Christ desires from his children. And that his disciples would see a living illustration of genuine faith. And that you and I today, as we are studying this scripture, would see what true faith really looks like. Well, the Lord was silent, but the disciples were not. And so we see this woman overcame a fifth barrier here, the barrier of rejection. The barrier of rejection. Verse 23 says, And his disciples came and implored him, saying, Send her away, because she keeps shouting at us. Well, before the New American Standard was updated in 1995, it read like this, And his disciples came to him and kept asking him, Send her away, for she is shouting out, after us. But Jesus is not annoyed by her request. Though it was repeated over and over again, the disciples were annoyed, however, by the silence of their master, by the repeated request, and by the shouting of this Canaanite woman. The disciples implored Jesus to send this woman away, just as the crowds had implored Jesus to leave their region after he sent the demons into the herd of swine. This woman was a bother to the twelve. She was a nuisance to the disciples of the Lord, and they simply wanted her to leave. But this woman passed the test that Jesus had given her. She had overcome the barrier of silence. The one that she left her daughter for to come and see did not answer her a word. Now she had overcome the barrier of rejection. Think about this. Twelve men were imploring their leader to send her away. Yet she remained. She was persistent. Mark says that she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And so she persevered and overcame a sixth barrier, and that is the barrier of race. The barrier of race. Look at verse 24. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Well, this is not a new concept, and I want you to just go back with me, if you would, to chapter 10 of Matthew's gospel to get a little context for this. Matthew chapter 10. Beginning in verse 1, Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Drop down to verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent out after instructing them, do not go in the way of the Gentiles and do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. 
This woman was a foreigner. She was from the land of Phoenicia. She was a Canaanite. She is a pagan, a Gentile, and therefore not first priority. And so we read in verse 25 that the woman returned to her home, rejected by the Lord, and sorrowful that she had left her daughter to come to Jesus. Is that what it says? No, that's not what it says. You have to be careful of me up here. The fact that she was a Gentile was no barrier to this woman. Let's read verse 25 for real this time. It says, but she came and began to bow down before him saying, Lord, help me. The woman was persistent. She persevered even in the midst of great obstacles and she positioned positioned herself in proper posture here before the Lord. In humility, she began to bow down before him and in a way she is worshiping him. In essence, she is saying, you are the God of Israel. You are the Holy One of Israel. You are the Son of David. I am not an Israelite. I am indeed a foreigner. You owe me nothing, but I am begging you. I am pleading with you. Have mercy on me. Help me. Please heal my daughter. Well, surely this is enough for Jesus to give in and to go to her house or just heal from a distance as he has done before. But the test is not over. Look at verse 26. And he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Ouch. We kind of say, hey, it was much better when Jesus was silent, right? But don't misinterpret what Jesus is saying here. The Jews would frequently insult the Gentiles by calling them dogs, comparing them to the wild, homeless scavengers that roam freely throughout Palestine. But the diminutive form here suggests a more affectionate term for domestic pets, particularly since these dogs eat under the children's table. I have a friend from Indianapolis named Kevin. We've been friends for a long time, since I was in college. And he was dog-sitting a few years ago, and one of the dogs turned 12 while he was dog-sitting for them. Uh, It was in Newfoundland, and he was asked by the owners to take him out for a birthday lunch. And this dog really liked gorditas from Taco Bell. Not bad. I mean, that's pretty nice. Uh, And he told me, he was like, Kirby, this dog has always been spoiled, always allowed to eat whatever he wants, and how he has always been fed from the table by his owners. And that is what is in view here. Pets. Pets that sit next to you while you're eating, begging for a piece of steak. And here we learn that Jesus did come for the Gentiles as well, but that the Jews, the children of Israel, are first priority. We see this a little more clearer when we read this account in Mark's gospel, as Mark 7, 27 says, let the children be satisfied first. Paul wrote of this in his epistle to the Romans, Romans 1.16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Thank God for the words first and for the word also. Amen? We are familiar with the words of John in his gospel, John 1.11 and 12, where we read that he came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. 
But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Jesus here is telling this woman that the gospel is first and foremost for the Jews. It will be extended to the Gentiles. It will go to the region of Tyre and Sidon and to the Canaanites. But Jesus is saying, I was sent to earth to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That is my mission. And that is the mission of my disciples. Well, you would think that this would have been the thing to send this woman away back to her home, back to her daughter, back to her idols. There had to be a temptation to give up. There had to be seeds of doubt in her mind and in her heart. She must have been tempted to think it's not going to happen. Be realistic. You're a woman and you're a foreigner. Just give up. The fact that she was a Gentile was no barrier to this woman. And we see that in her response. And we see the seventh barrier that she overcame. And that was the barrier of unbelief. The barrier of unbelief. Verse 27, but she said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Jesus here gives her part three of this oral exam. The first test was silence. The second test was the reminder that he was sent for for the people of Israel. And here Jesus sets her up for a perfect response. A response of true, genuine faith. I want you to look at her faith and look at her humility here. It's like she is saying, yes, Lord, I agree. You have come for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You were sent for that very purpose. You should not take the children's bread and give it to the foreigners and give it to the outsiders. That bread belongs to them. But could I just get some crumbs? All that I ask is that you heal my daughter. I believe you are who you say you are. I believe that you are God and very God, and I believe that you have the power to heal my daughter. And so would you, by your mercy, heal my daughter, for she is cruelly demon-possessed. In Romans 4.20, Paul, speaking of Abraham, says, Yet with respect, <clears throat> respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. And this woman, through this testing, grew strong in her faith. Like Jacob, who said to the Lord while wrestling with him, I will not let you go unless you bless me. This woman would not depart until the Lord Jesus blessed her by healing her daughter, not by selfish demands, but in genuine faith. This woman was fulfilling the pledge of Jeremiah 29, 13, which says, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And I love Jesus' response in verse 28. Then Jesus said to her, O woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. Well, that is exactly what takes place. We read in Mark 7.30, and going back to her home, she found the child lying on the bed, the demon having left. Friends, that is great faith. 
That is extraordinary faith from an ordinary person. So as we come to our, the end today, I would just ask you, how is your faith? You who are here that are in Christ, you who have been made alive, who were once dead in your trespasses and sins, we have been forgiven of all of our sins in Christ. We have been granted everlasting life. Do we have the faith that could move mountains? This woman did. And that is the kind of faith we should all have, a belief that God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or can even imagine. You and I are praying for the salvation of loved ones, for spouses, children, siblings, parents, friends, and neighbors. Do we really believe that Christ has the power to save? You and I are praying for the healing of loved ones, people within this body of believers. Let us pray with persistence. Let us pray with passion. And let us pray in faith. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we are so thankful for your word. We are so thankful for these gospel accounts, Lord, where we can read an account like this. And again, Lord, it's not just a fairy tale or a good story to help us love you more. This is a true account that really took place. Thank you for the faith of this woman. And Lord, how she serves as an example to all of us of true, genuine, saving faith. Believing, God, that you are able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or even imagine. But Lord, we're thankful more for the living Christ. You are the object of our faith. Lord, you have made us alive when we were once dead. By grace, we have been saved. All the glory goes to you. And Lord, we are thankful for the the miracle of new birth, of salvation, for everlasting life. The fact that even today, those of us who are in Christ, there is even now no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. Lord, you did something for us we could have never done for ourselves. And so we bless you and we praise you and we thank you and we do say hallelujah, praise to the Lord. Lord, I would pray if there's anyone here today that has never placed faith in the living Christ, that this Sunday, this Mother's Day would be the day, Lord, where they would be saved. That, Lord, you would reach into their life and remove their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh that would be capable of repenting of their sin and placing faith in Christ and Christ alone. Lord, for us who know you, may we love you like we never have before. And may you use this time we've spent together to conform us to the image of your son. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.